0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Radio Zaddy, another episode of something that we've decided is queer this week. <laughs> yes, I'm Hannah Bestwick and I'm here as always with the wonderful Daisy
1: Thurston-Gent. Hello. Exactly, wonderful Daisy Thurston-Gent. How have you been? I'm, I'm good. I'm very good today. I've, I've got my coffee and um, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling ready for the day. This is my first um, day off this year. And it's almost as if. Oh my god! It's almost as if four months into the year, those are good. <laughs> those are good to have.
0: I feel. I feel like you should definitely have more than just that many days off, though, Daisy. Please, can you put in some? Uh, put in an objective to say that you will take some holiday this year. Please. Some holiday. Some actual
1: holiday. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm. Definitely I'm feeling okay. It. I'm feeling okay today. Um. And how are you? Yeah, I'm all right actually.
0: Um. Yeah, I guess. Um. I actually can't remember. If it's me or you this week.
1: It's you this week, Hannah. Yeah, it's you.
0: Oh my goodness, me. Okay, so I've literally just finished writing this. So I hope that actually kind of makes sense.
1: Fresh off the press. Ladies and gentlemen and distinguished guests, the wonderful Hannah (laughs) Beswick. Exactly. Absolutely
0: um, ad-libbing this. Some of it may not make sense. I find if I don't proofread, sometimes I do repeat
1: myself a little bit. So uh, just bear that in mind. (laughs) I I love a a non-proofread Podcast. You're going to absolutely it's surprising it. for everyone <laughs> you know
0: <laughs> exactly i'm going to be surprised by this too yeah so on the 31st which was, for us was just about 2 days ago but will be slightly more when this episode does come out um it was trans day of visibility and i was thinking about mm. that because i'd had a, re- a conversation recently with a, a teenager about gender and about sex and he was convinced you know that there's only two sexes as male and female and that that he said was a biological truth and that is not true. And I would like I'm going to take you on a journey about how not true that is, because there are not just two sexes in the world of biology or medicine or anything like that. and That's what I'm going to talk about today. Okay. Hooray. Because there is also in the LGBTQ acronym, the Alphabet Mafia, there is an I in there. If you get to if you get to the end there's yes. an A and there's an I, and the I stands for intersex, which is also another form of uh, is is a form of of sex difference, yep. uh, which doesn't fall into the strict binary mm-hmm. of being mm-hmm. quote being at the extreme of the spectrum of male mm-hmm. or female. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So intersex is what is in between, which is a lot of things. You will <laughs> yes. I will have you know the the idea that there is just two two sexes is a very prevalent idea, okay, and it is one that also I thought for a while and and most people think for a while because it is, I think it it comes from the way that biology and, you know, medical stuff is taught Um, and it's taught that there are just two sexes, mainly to make teaching that curriculum easy and to make marking exams and things (laughs) easier. I think, Mm. like, it's, it's as you go... Through GCSE to A level to degree to then PhD, like things become more and more complicated. But when you first start learning about biology, when you're like in primary school, they have to make it as simple as possible so that a, a baby can understand it, basically. Like mm. you start learning about bodies when you're like five and, and kind of, they try to make it simple to make it understandable. But it doesn't, I don't think it necessarily has to be that way, but that's the way that it has been dumbed down, essentially. Um, and when I say when I say sex, sex is, is um, more of a biological or medical term to describe categories, uh, quote, on the basis of reproduction, reproductive function. Whereas, you know, gender is more about social, cultural, psychological, ideas or feelings the way you interact with others the way you want to be seen identity and expression exactly identity and expression and behaviors mm-hmm. and things like that whereas sex is a much more physical basis in terms of these terms that I'm going to be using so there are primarily the uh, initial understanding was that there were two sexes male and female female being if you have your last two pairs of chromosomes which are called your sex chromosomes mm-hmm. so you have a series and they're always in pairs and um, uh, x x so the same one x and x is uh, would be normally female and then being an X and Y would be a male mm-hmm. chromosome in those sex chromosomes, okay? But that I, like most people, was taught that that was, that sex was distinct and definite based on your chromosomes. Mm. Um, but, you know, then I went to university and I learned, uh, I did a, a like a biology degree. You got the advanced, the advanced reading. A little, like kind of, but it's still like when you do a, a bachelor's, it's still, very much like simplified because they want to mark you they want to give you tests and things yeah and it's only really you know you get to PhD level and you're like nothing makes sense and (laughs) biology is a really difficult area to have any kind of distinct categories of things because you know one of the one of the biggest things in biology is that everything is variable every trait that every living thing has exists on a scale from the most extreme to the opposite, but least extreme, if that makes sense. So we have, Mm -hmm. for example, that can be understood in the terms of we have the world's tallest man and the world's shortest man. Okay, that is. There have to be
1: bookends for a scale to exist.
0: Exactly, and everybody else exists within those two uh, extremes. Okay, and that is that's natural. You know, they weren't that. All world's tallest man isn't tall because he was chemically enhanced or had some kind of like super. I don't know stem cell treatment to make him super mm. tall, and the world's shortest man. Isn't short sure because he was somehow suppressed with chemicals and, and science. Yeah, it's
1: all it's all natural. Yeah,
0: he just they were they were just natural phenomenon. Yeah, and every other trait that we have also exists in that in you know, hair color mm-hmm. like and everything. And sex is also on that spectrum. So sex expression exists on a sp- on a spectrum entirely. So. Uh, just quickly, the term intersex, taken from the Intersex Awareness website um, and also NHS website, I made a little definition. So it's generally a term that um, covers a variety of conditions in which a person is born with reproductive or sexual anatomy that doesn't fit in the quote typical definition of female or male, uh, maybe born appearing female on the outside or male on the outside but on the inside you might have a slightly different uh setup that would be considered chromosome
1: setup Uh, no no no. Uh,
0: on the inside so you might you might be born um physically resembling male but you might have some female anatomy inside like a womb or something Mm -hmm. or you may be born and present very female but on the inside you have testes that haven't descended Mm -hmm. okay so that's like but that's one way it can look um but basically intersex covers anything which isn't the male typical or female typical end of the extreme that most people expect Mm -hmm. everybody's bodies to align there's actually a huge variety in the middle which is just not really talked about very much and and it's odd that that's not the case because from the research that i've been doing it's actually pretty common to be intersex and it's actually pretty common to have what are called differences in sex development um and One of the reasons is that because there's such a huge societal pressure to kind of fit into one of these boxes, Mm -hmm. lots of people undergo surgery or are given surgery when they're babies to make them fall into one of these boxes. Okay, so I got a lot of um, information from an article that was absolutely amazing from the scientific american called sex redefined the idea of two two sexes is overly simplistic by claire ainsworth and then um, a couple of information articles on the isna.org and the nhs website so like i said with the idea that there's two sexes that actually was the kind of standpoint of a lot of scientists and medical professionals they there was a long time Mm. when they believed that sex was determined only by those last two chromosomes the sex chromosomes but that view is is it's really old now you know it's, it's um it's not believed to be the case anymore in medicine or or um yeah we're better now guys and yeah and the idea was that um you know and I I was taught this as well at degree level even was that uh, all fetuses start out as female and then there's a a gene called sry which exists on the y chromosome it turns on and then the fetus goes on to develop Mm. to be male
1: (laughs) sry like text tech speak for sorry sorry
0: (laughs) Sorry about this, mate. Um, the gene can switch the gonad development. So do, do you know what gonads are? So that's like the bit of the body that makes either yeah, eggs or sperm. Yeah. So that would be like your ovaries or your testes, um, depending on what, what so you So that's have. a
1: scientific term. I thought that was like a slang term. <laughs> no, no. it's, it's Just going to hold my hands term. up. I did a drama degree, uh, <laughs> which will become very apparent now for <laughs> <talking> to <Anna.
0: laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Okay, if they say anything that doesn't make sense, ask me. And if I don't know the answer, I will just have to tell you and then we'll follow Otherwise, I I'll just be here
1: being like, oh, yeah, you're gonads. Like, I've definitely heard that phrase. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> you're gonads. Um, but yeah, sorry, <laughs> the SRY gene can switch cells that were going to be ovaries into um, testicular tissue instead. But then, you know, in the 1990s, they found out that SRY, sorry, as you've been calling it, Doesn't always appear on the Y chromosome. Hmm. You know, that's the only gene they thought was necessary to become a male fetus. But actually that gene can be, can just hop onto another X. And then if you're XX, i.e. you have the two female chromosomes, you can still develop as a male if you have that SRY gene. Hmm. Okay.
1: So that was in the so 90s. It's not,
0: Yeah, in the 90s. Um, so in 1990s, uh, very early on. So that's more than 30 years old, that knowledge now. Mm. Um, and then by 2000, the idea that all babies start as female, as I just mentioned, and then turn into male is also debunked. Because what they found is that, like, actually, the development of ovaries and testes both have to actively be triggered right. in a fetus. It's not just a case of, like, if nothing happens, you have ovaries and then something happens to make testes. It's just that mm. it's like a balance. You know, they're both different sets of genes are happening and then at some point one of them will become dominant and then you'll either develop testes or ovaries Mm. okay so oh okay so wnt there's a gene called wnt4 which suppresses the promotion of uh, testicular development okay and if a person who is xy so um has male chromosomes they might have an extra wnt4 gene and then they can develop atypical, atypical gonads um, and a uterus, fallopian tubes, but they present mostly as male. Mm. But they might have a, a whole uterus, you know. Yeah, yeah. And a person who is XX, so female, might have a specific gene called Rspo1. Um, these acronyms you don't need to remember them they're not important I will say them every time we need to hear them and that normally makes ovaries but if it's broken in somebody who is presenting as female you end up with um, like ovo testes so something that is essentially like Like a a, a, a mosaic Mm -hmm. yeah like a a combination okay tell me if this is making sense or if if yeah 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 so it's all just
1: yeah stuff stuff and junk just stuff your junk is just junk
0: Um, <laughs> it's
1: just junk, and you could have any. It's just total potluck exactly. what you get, and
0: that's that's you know that's by no means the extent of the situation. There's there's um there there's a very they just kind of those are two very good examples of genes very small of how tiny that tiny yeah. bits of DNA tiny tiny bits of DNA that if they're slightly wrong can mean that you end up with something in the middle of the spectrum um, as, as um, mm. your sex characteristics. And that's yeah, like actually completely normal. You know, that's a natural thing that happens.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: and sex determination is not, is not a simple thing. As I mentioned, like the, the opposing sets of genes and responses to those gene expressions result in whatever bits you end up with. Okay. And that final product can look like a whole variety of different things of yeah, yeah. anywhere within that middle spec, middle ground. Um, there's also what I thought was really cool in this article, um, Scientific American, There was that has been additional research that shows that what your gonads end up being as an adult isn't necessarily set. So you kind of think that once you're born, once you're out of the womb, you're kind of done, What you've got is what you've got. But in mice, they showed that if you deactivate certain genes in the adult, then cells there's cells which would develop eggs and cells which would develop sperm. You can switch their function. They can be uh, moved from producing eggs to uh, promoting sperm production, and the other way around. And that's based on two projects: one researching one way, one researching the other way Mm. from the. M-I-M-R-P-H-I Institute for Medical Research, which is in Melbourne, which is pretty cool. So that's like the bit on ovaries and testes, okay? Yeah. By the way, I'm going to say a lot of words, medical words about bits. <laughs> and I know lots of people don't like them, but I'm not going to say like cock or dick or anything or like
1: yeah. fanny.
0: I'm just going to use the medical term because that's what that is what I'm most comfortable with in yeah. this situation. <laughs> so it's more than just that that makes up someone's sex expression, okay? It's not all just... um quote what's between your legs Mm -hmm. there's a whole host of differences in sex development which are called dsd's differences in sex developments so in dsd's um, there's a variety of changes to the way the body responds to hormone signals which cause resulting differences in how the body forms and how it looks and there's a couple which have to do with a specific hormone called androgen so androgen is a hormone that regulates and maintains male characteristics specifically Mm. so if you have a syndrome called complete androgen insensitivity syndrome or CAIS. in that body there's none or limited response to androgen and as a result someone who might have a Y chromosome would normally develop male characteristics mm. if they have this androgen insensitivity they might have internal testes um, and external female genitalia so and then would all, maybe also develop female traits at puberty like breasts and things like that yeah and fat, female fat uh, distribution because mm-hmm. it distributes differently depending on what hormone levels you've got. Um, and then, yeah, so that's like the most extreme uh, variations of that. Sorry, less extreme variations on that include like having a scrotum that is uh, divided in two. Mm. So you but like have two two scrotums instead, and you might have um, the urethra is in a, in rather than being on the end, it's like underneath or further down mm. the, the penis than on the end. And those are just like just because of just different levels of hormone yeah. sensitivity
1: mm.
0: and levels of hormone sensitivity is again completely normal to have a variety of sensitivity across individuals. You know, it's not it's not really ever just the case of being like either you're sensitive to a hormone or you're not you have the, some people do ha- have like a receptor but some people might have a less responsive receptor. some people might have an overactive receptor for example but so there's a, a kind of flip side to that with people who are XX so would traditionally be understood to be female there is a DSD known as congenital adrenal hyperplasia or CAH, CAH. C-A-H. <laughs> Ka. 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 where the body pro- the body produces excess amounts of male sex hormone mm-hmm. and that can result in kind of the the flip side of those characteristics so you might have an, a large clitoris which can also be known as a, a pseudopenis the vagina might be closed or the opening might just be some like in a different to normal place mm. Uh, you can have fused labia as well, which resemble a scrotum, because that's um that's why a ball sack has a seam down the middle, is because it forms from fused labia. Oh, really? Um, which I think is uh, an
1: interesting fact. Like described as a seam, as if it was some sort of like quilt, <laughs> quilted sort of. Yeah, um, the, the like you know the, the sally from a Nightmare Before Christmas, <laughs> like.
0: Oh, stop it! <laughs> or um, oh no, I was just thinking about Coraline when they sew the eyes on. Oh, hideous. Anyway, (laughs) so there's um, (laughs) additionally, there's also, oh, yeah. So there's instances as well of not necessarily just being XY or XX. So those are the two kind of traditionally understood final pair of chromosomes, uh, the 23rd pair. And some people are born with just the X. And they're known as XO. And this, um, with this, you might either have male or female genitals, but not go through puberty. Um, for example, you might never start your periods or develop breasts or your voice drop or something like that. Mm. Um, and there's another one that's slightly less, um, less common, which is, oh, I can't really say this, Kleinfelter Kleinefelter? Mm-hmm. It sounds quite German when I say it. Syndrome, which is where someone has an extra X. And it's usually, um, someone who is XXY, triple X, no XXY. Um, and in that not enough testosterone is produced. And so male traits might just be less pronounced. Um, and there's additional ones as well, but, um, usually they come with, when you have too many chromosomes, it can come with quite a lot of other complications. Um, so I won't, I won't go on to any more of those. So yeah. Is since the 1990s, and um, when we start, started off, we were talking about how development of, of understanding of differences in sex development had like got, made amazing progress since the '90s because we've started to be able to um, do lots of stuff with gene sequencing and understanding genome differences. Um, researchers have identified more than 25 genes involved in the differences in sex development, and there's so many variations. There's honestly so many right from the major to minor mm. effects, you know, that you might, you might never even know. Yeah, yeah, that you're intersex or you have DSDs. Okay, because some of the some of the effects are so minor. So how often do you look at? Yeah, how often do you go
1: looking at? Exactly,
0: you, and it can be sense. it can be hormonal. Yeah. So you might just um like have slightly more what would be considered like more testosterone, more body hair, mm. or just like low testosterone, less uh, sex drive, or whatever. Like that could also be considered a DSD. But like the, what the what researchers are trying to do, and scientists and medical professionals, is to expand the definition of intersex and DSD mm. because actually it's not only the most extreme cases that count it's everything in between like like if you expand it to incorporate the milder variations then it becomes a very a much more common thing yeah. And there's one um, researcher um, called Eric Villan, which I think is an amazing name, uh, of the Center for Gender-Based Biology in the University of California in Los Angeles said, biology, it's a spectrum. And I thought yep. that was that summed it up just Tick. incredibly because it is. It's never, it's never been just one thing Mm -hmm. or that thing. You know, if you expand those cases, like I said, um, I'd forgotten the numbers. So now I've scrolled down slightly. I can see them now. If you do expand it to include the milder cases, having DSDs could be even as common as one in a hundred or one in thousand, which is as common as being uh, one in a hundred is the same uh, frequency as people with ginger hair. Mm. Okay. So that's, you know, very common. And I, you know, some people, like I said, never know. That's one of the things is that there's also a lot of missing data because some people never know that they they have DSD. Sure. There was an example in the um, Scientific American article that showed a 70-year-old man um, was undergoing... Hernia surgery, and they found that he had a womb inside. Wow. But he, you know, he was seventy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd got to seventy. He would have never known unless he was autopsied or whatever. Like, and that's just the kind of thing that can go completely under the radar, womb. especially because it's internal, and a lot yeah, of internal yeah. things um don't ever you get just don't go, You just
1: don't go digging around for wombs, do you? Like that often, unless you need to. No,
0: exactly. <laughs> you don't. You don't open up everybody to be like just in case. Just in yeah, case. Do you have a womb? Um, do you have a womb? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that's I guess um, covering some of the macroscopic yeah. uh, stuff. But there's also a, a lot of microscopic uh, scale complexity, where um, because we have essentially two of each chromosome, uh, it was sex chromosomes especially. Um, as the developing embryo is just like one cell, then it's two cells, mm. then it's four, then it's eight as it's growing. Sometimes a a chromosome will be lost or it'll be turned off. And what that results in is if you lose um, the Y, you end, you can end up with part of, like your body is made up of a mosaic of all these cells. Mm. Quite a lot of your cells just might not have a Y anymore because once it's lost before a division, when that cell becomes two, that's two without a Y, mm. then it's four without a You're Y. Right, right. Um, Exactly. And that causes um, some differences in sex development that's slightly less common in people with XX because you have a spare, if that makes sense. Mm. You've got an X and an X. So if you lose an X, you've, already, you've still got an X yeah. left. Right. I'm just actually going to leave it at that because it, I read an article that got I was writing this script out and I was getting very, very into the minute detail. But I don't think that necessarily we need to go into that right now because it is too much. And it was also a little it's bit not beyond. My understanding, it's not fully fledged in in my head. It is out there. So but I think we'd need we'd need another episode for us both to get our heads around it because I was like, hang on, hang on. Get wait, the get on. Them microscope <laughs> um, out. Um <laughs> Exactly. So um yeah. One of the one of the issues is that although there's been lots of work to improve like acceptance of, you know, sexualities or, hmm. or different expressions, um, and people who are transgender and, and improving the services for people who are transgender as well when it actually comes to sex and physical sex characteristics there's still Mm. an absolutely huge pressure to fit into some kind of category you know people get obsessed with um Mm. what genitals trans people have let alone uh, like everybody else and it can what it can result in is a huge um pressure on parents to give Mm. to get surgery performed on babies when especially when they have like clear dsd in their genitals Mm. um when they are and and doing surgery on a baby is it's like a huge trauma you know and they're too you know they're too young to consent and they're also usually too too young to even give any kind of like um, explanation of what their gender identity is and whether like how that Mm. plays into it Mm. because it does in the end yeah but When you're a baby, you're still developing your sense of self, let alone your sense of gender identity. And what has happened a lot in the past is that if someone was born with DSD or born with like both male and female genitalia is that the male external part would be just snipped, not just snipped off, Mm. but would be removed. Mm. Um, And that person raised as a girl you know, and, and what that results in is, is a lot of confusion, um, trauma being raised as a yeah, gender. Yeah, biological
1: confusion. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and you've been really done wrong in those situations, and what that has resulted in um, for a lot of a lot of um, historical I mean, cases that's,
1: is that's
0: abuse, isn't it? It, it, is, it is. It is. Can... It's resulted yeah. in a lot of suicides, essentially. Because being forced to to live in a gender that doesn't match up with how you feel does, Mm. as we found with, like, the suicide rates in in trans communities are very high, especially,
1: most especially if you're not accepted by your family. Um, Mm. But Because of the societal pressure, like, that is just wild. You know, if we were just, as a society, more accepting or, you know, or aware that there are so many, you know, it is a spectrum Mm. and that there are so many variations... You know, why are we so focused on physically like manipulating and transforming people who who don't who don't need it? Yeah, don't need it at all. And there is actually one case that I read about that I haven't um,
0: covered much in this, actually. But there was a case where um, a child who was under state care in the US underwent surgery at 16 months and essentially it caused a lot of trauma and it differed from their gender identity what their the choice they'd made about the surgery and so they're trying to sue the state in the us Mm. um which would if it's successful which it hasn't been yet that would really change the way people approach um surgery for children because at the moment they're 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 trying to push it as as child abuse as neglect essentially um because like because uh yeah, there's, there are actually a lot of scientists and doctors who are pushing to change the attitude towards genital surgery. You know, if why mm-hmm. why is it that people are so opposed to genital mutilation, but they're so like okay with this form of mutilation yeah, because yeah. It, it's quote surgery to fit you into a box, you like, know, corrective not, or
1: whatever. Exactly,
0: yeah. there's not actually it's not harming them to have. A DSD or to have non mm-hmm. non non-standard not that's not really the word to have something in, in the atypical yeah atypical genitals it's not damaging it's not harmful yeah but then there's this but kind it could of be if you
1: weighed in and then actually that you know that person could have lived a, a really happy authentic you know healthy yeah. life
0: yeah exactly yeah. so what they're trying to do at the moment is trying to push a lot more for dsd and um, to be approached for families uh approach families with multi multidisciplinary approaches so you know there's emotional and medical support but again you know we know how often the stigma for raising a child in a non-gendered way you know there's there's mm-hmm. So it's Megan Fox and her kids and Angelina Jolie and one of her kids are both gender non-conforming, let's say, not necessarily trans, but they don't conform to these gender stereotypes. And they get a lot of shit from people about that, about like a lot of talk about, you know, it's, it's cruel, you know, you shouldn't do that to a kid. But um, so for families where they have a child with DSD, if they're trying to raise the child without putting gender expectations on them, they can then be the recipient of stigma and pressure from other parents parents to be like well Mm. is it a girl or is it a boy like and so that pressure from other parents and society can then result in the parents making a decision on behalf of Mm. the child to raise them in a gender which may result in you know dysphoria later down the line and actually one thing that dr villain also pointed out was that in most countries it's legally impossible to be anything other than strictly male strictly female you know you can't in the uk you can't have anything other than male or female on your passport yet. You can't get a non binary identity yeah. on your passport. <sighs> so yeah, I it's it, I think it's it's a really important part of understanding queer identities yeah. because actually so much Because you can
1: in other other places around the world, I think.
0: Yeah, you can you can in other countries but in like the US it and shows how
1: behind we are even though, you know, there's that internal perception of being more advanced, especially in, you know, science and reasoning, right? And it's absolute bollocks we need to we need to expand our we need to expand our view globally yeah
0: expand our worldview and just you know there's so much in the uk especially about like oh we listen we listen to the scientists but it's like well we're not because we're not opening up your understanding of dsd or intersex and like people who are in in the queer community you know our community includes people who are intersex or with dsd and we as a community also know that life exists on a spectrum It's never just straight or gay. It's never just completely male, completely female. It's never just, it's not as simple as having a binary system. Nothing has been, nothing's ever been that way. It's just been forced on us by the kind of society society that we grow up in. And I thought I'd end on this really nice quote um, from... Uh, One from Villain and then one from uh, the author of the Scientific American uh, article. So Villain says, my feeling is that since there uh, is not one biological parameter that takes every other parameter into consideration, at the end of the day, gender identity seems to be the most uh, reasonable parameter rather than boxing people into sex characteristics. And so, Mm. in other words, Claire said, in other words, if you want to know whether someone's male or female, boy or girl, it's just best to ask, you know. Yes. And I think that that's really nice because it kind of, it takes into that idea of like, you're giving them the choice then as well to tell you No one you knows who themselves better than you. Exactly. Right. And it's when people, you know, there's, there's that really harmful thing of people being like, well, you look like a girl, so I'm going to call you a girl. And it's like, well, why don't you just ask? Mm-hmm because that's that's also the most respectful thing yeah. like do you want what pronouns do you want me to use what you know is it's such an indicator of respect to ask someone how they want you to perceive them yeah. or like yeah. how you want they want you to treat them and i think that's kind of the idea that I got from this article is just like, it is so complex. Yeah, yeah. It is such a complex area. Biology is mm. hugely complex. And yeah. so you can never, even if you just say, okay, well, what's your, what's your chromosomes? You know, what's, your, what's, what's between your legs? Like, what yeah, sex yeah. are you? It's like, actually, it's not that simple. No. Because even if my chromosomes were XY, I might still <laughs> develop to look female. And you, yeah. Like, you just can't tell. And well, it's not, it's completely... We should normalise asking. Yeah, we should normalise asking. And I just think that it's a really ignorant standpoint to say well actually scientific uh, scientifically there's only two sexes because what that means is that you stopped listening at <laughs> the like, basic GCSE yeah the basic level, a level yeah. and then and you're using it to back up your argument now without doing further uh, further reading yeah there's a
1: lot of stuff i learned in school that i probably uh, would would hope is uh, you know has a bit more uh, reach and uh, depth now Um, that I wouldn't take as gospel
0: (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and you know teachers teachers are amazing but they're also they're human they're they are fallible they only have what they can work with they're also overworked and like given crappy they're given crappy syllabuses to work with that you know someone was talking to me about making it's
1: got to be limited right yeah
0: and you know and there's also restrictions on them about you know section 28 stopped teachers from being able to discuss anything to do with queer lifestyles and so it's not like I'm not trying to say that it's a teacher's fault for saying that there's only two sexes. But what I'm what I'm trying to say is that there is a duty to keep educating yourself beyond what you learn at school because the teachers yeah. can only work with the material that they're given, you know, and in many cases are not allowed to teach you more.
1: It should come with a like an asterisk just to be like, oh, this is, you know, what I'm telling you today, asterisk. Yeah there's a lot yeah, more exactly there's a lot more to exactly
0: that. and someone did say that to me in a level once when i was doing biology they were like it's we're teaching you this now but to any of you that go on to do biology at university this will be wrong and i was like oh okay <laughs> you're in for a shot yeah yeah exactly i was like right okay so i'm just gonna unlearn and then learn something or whatever uh, but it's just you know you have to it has to be a, at an appropriate level to be marked or whatever like i understand it's just we all have a have a, a duty to continue to educate ourselves throughout our lives and that's yeah i just i thought that was really interesting that is by mm. no means the whole of it that i've given you there i've just given you a really overview real simple overview and i strongly recommend yeah, like you. going on and reading more if you're interested because it is fucking cool
1: yeah that article sounds fascinating um and just you know not not simplified but definitely uh digestible at least yeah
0: and that's what i was hoping for like you know we, we do this podcast we're not trying to be the ultimate truth or i just I'd like to open that door and see what's
1: through yeah. and then. Thank you. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah, we're definitely not um, experts on, on the subjects uh, when we come to them. Yeah, learning and, and, and reading and it, yeah, there's so many resources out there, aren't there, that are just so eye-opening and just help us understand Yeah, the world we live in. Like, Why would you not be interested in understanding more about your community or the other humans that occupy the planet with you, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think it also for me, it goes a long way to like, just kind of accepting the way my body is and the way other people's bodies are, because it's just like nobody, I don't know, I spend a lot of time on Instagram. And there's a lot of very similar body types on Instagram a lot. And kind of I don't look like those people. And actually, reminding myself that biology is an incredibly wide and varied spectrum of every trait reminds me that it is completely normal to look very different to the Instagram models you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) and to feel different as well to not to not want to um, yeah prance around in a bikini because I just I don't like wearing a bikini yeah it's just not me anyway Daisy TG
1: thank you for listening thank Um, you very uh, much nice what are you going to teach me about so this week uh, I'm going to teach you about uh, the the scientific and cultural significance of rainbows oh my god tell me about those rainbows (laughs) Um yeah so so for those of us who are in the life mm-hmm. um call back uh fly the rainbow as a symbol of pride um yes. but throughout the UK and Europe the rainbow flag is often um symbolic of peace uh and more recently was kind of uh, plastered onto into british windows and drawn by children uh to compile what was uh, described as a nationwide interactive mosaic of hope uh, to thank the NHS um and acknowledge key workers uh, for their tremendous efforts during the covid-19 pandemic so the rainbow have has, has had this like resurgence resurgence in uh, in recent years and um the rainbow has quite a colorful history um if Ooh. you excuse the pun um <laughs> and it's been adopted and adapted and admired uh, as a pillar as pillarous in, in various communities mm. Uh, for centuries not just uh, in queer circles although that is where we're going to start so i'm going to sort of talk about uh, the history of history of rainbows and just some sort of uh, yeah. cultural attributes <laughs> just mm-hmm. to you know keep it really camp um and maybe a little bit scientific as mm. well um <laughs> so the rainbow flag has been um has become synonymous with uh, the lgbtq plus uh, people all across the globe um and it was designed by the artist gilbert baker in 1978 after he was challenged by his friend and openly gay politician and civil rights leader Harvey Milk Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. to design a symbol of pride that represented the gay community. Uh, So challenge accepted. Yeah. And the original eight colourful stripes of Baker's uh, pride flag each represent something different for the uh, LGBTQ community. Uh, So you had hot pink, which was for sex, Mm -hmm. um, red for life, orange for healing, yellow for sunlight, green for nature, turquoise for art, indigo for for harmony and violet for spirit Um, and each of these were in baker's eyes uh, some way meaningful for the lgbt community as a kind of unified symbol of hope and social change when all like sewn together um, to make a flag and interestingly baker never um never trademarked his design Mm. um because he was happy enough just to kind of see it flying around you know in the community and wanted it to kind of be this universal symbol that was kind of flown as freely as possible, basically. Yeah. So I've got a really nice quote from Gilbert Baker. Was uh, It completely astounded me that people just got it in an instant, like a bolt of lightning, that this was their flag. Um, nice. so that was quite, quite nice. Um, so the hot pink was later dropped uh, due to uh, limited fabric availability, apparently. Um, oh. The indigo and turquoise uh, merged into uh, royal blue. And, the, and so the seven-stripe variant... Uh, was soon popularized um, and is still used today um, in LGBT circles. Uh, As well as the more recent um, progress flag um, that includes the additional prominent uh, chevron with uh, black and brown stripes to um, champion yeah. people of color within the lgbtq plus community uh, as well as the light blue white and pink stripes um representing uh, trans individuals so if you see those uh, that variant around it's it's a lot more that's a lot more common now and it's kind of increased increasingly popular which is great and it's called the progress flag so obviously i've mentioned in previous episodes um about the notion of hope in judy garland singing somewhere of the rainbow in the wizard of oz um and in many stories the rainbow symbolizes a path uh, or a gateway to another often spiritual world so it's got this mm. this huge kind of symbolism that goes with it yeah yeah the proverbial end of the rainbow is notoriously unreachable in uh, many instances um and this is part uh, in part spiritual um but mostly scientific um <laughs> and ultimately comes down to uh, optics um right which all knows the uh, the study of sight and uh behavior of light. Uh and you know who essentially discovered rainbows, Hannah? Who? Uh it was none other, none other than the world-class esteemed, esteemed scientist uh and presumed homosexual oh. uh, Isaac Newton. So, uh Presumed
0: homosexual. Yeah, he had that very famous male
1: uh person
0: yeah. who they think was his his lover or partner. He used to write
1: these letters to. Yeah. So Newton like Newton never married, but he he was known to have very close relationships with his uh male friends. Um, during his life, and so you know, modern historical reflection points to him being a queer icon. Like we can, we can. It's sort pretty. It's that. pretty
0: certain that yeah. he's, pre- he's at least queer.
1: Yeah. So there's there's also claims that Newton was apparently indifferent to sex in general. So he may in fact have been asexual. Um, maybe that's the kind of closer oh. sort of um, definition. There's you know, there's letters where you know he's being he's being cited as just indifferent because um, he was too busy. You know. He was playing around with light and up you here, know, sciencing. He was know. also
0: like, I think, I think he was on a lot of drugs, I think. I think I remember reading that he was like coked up or something a lot of the time and that's... You know, he had a lot of thoughts to think. Um, yeah, you don't just discover well, you don't it. just
1: discover this stuff, um, no. right, on DNA. Uh, <laughs> so he may, in fact, have been asexual. Either way, uh, he was a hugely influential mathematician, physicist, and astronomer. And he also had amazing hair. Yeah, um, strong, strong <laughs> game. Yeah, strong hair. So uh, some facts about Isaac Newton, uh, the rainbow tamer. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I can call him that. Uh, I didn't know. I didn't know much about. I don't know much about him other than what I learned from school, um, which was that an apple fell on his head and he wouldn't shut up about it. <laughs> Newton was uh, unsurprisingly uh, bullied at school, um, which only kind of adds uh, to that queer narrative that many of us have experienced. Mm. But as a result, uh, strived to distinguish himself as a, as a top student, um, excelling at mathematics and you know, casually building sundials um, and model windmills wherever possible, just to set himself a Apart from the other children, having a great time. Um, So in in 1666, (laughs) yeah, just nerding around. In 1666, Newton uh, was messing around with uh, around with prisms, as you do, uh, designing a a future Pink Floyd album cover, I I assume, and basically discovered, yeah, basically discovered that a clear beam of white light is actually made up of other colours, a visible Mm. spectrum of which we see in the form of a rainbow. Uh, so he built this telescope to prove his point, um, which enhanced the the prism observation and separated the white light into those seven colours um, on the visible spectrum, uh, thus proving that colour is the result of objects reacting with existing mm-hmm. coloured light, uh, whether it's refracted or reflected or whatever, rather than the objects generating the colour. Does that make sense? Yeah. Anyway, big deal. Uh, game changer. Um, <laughs> anyway, so that's, yeah, that's Newton's colour theory in the smallest of uh, simplified like nutshells um, that I could come up with. Um, for, yeah, you know, no, 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 For that's anyone amazing. who, like me, yeah, really good. can just barely remember primary school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we've got Isaac Newton, uh, he's just there shining rainbows all over the place, uh, you know, some sort of queer beacon. Beaming them out it's like beaming a them out, Batman Batman symbol into the air, but it's exactly. all just rainbows
0: everywhere. Yeah, exactly,
1: yeah. what a gay old time. <laughs> Before yeah, um so we've got Isaac Newton. Uh he was knighted by Queen Anne in seventeen oh five, um, for Ooh. being a terrific gay sorry, scientist. Being a terrific scientist, scientist. Yeah. Um that's why they knight people. <laughs> um and spent the rest of his life in London, uh, where he served as uh warden and then master of the Royal Mint. Um gosh. Which I'm sad to say is not Money. a giant mint that he was guarding. Um I had to google. It. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I generally thought it might be like British code for like a really precious, you know, mint imperial or something. Anyway, the polo police. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's actually what the crown jewels yeah. are. It's just a series of very large just polos. Uh, candies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so uh, the the Royal Mint uh, was an industrial facility with ma- which manufactures coins, um, which are then used as currency. Hence, uh, hence the phrase "minted." Is that where that comes yeah. from? Yeah. Excellent. Absolutely, minted, mate. Minted. Um, so, before Isaac Newton uh, scientifically established the visible color spectrum, uh, people had mostly relied on Ar- Aristotle's uh, theory of color, that it was believed to have been sent from the heavens uh, by God uh, in the form of these like Gosh. celestial rays of light emerging um, from black and white, which represented uh, darkness and light, um, and that color mm. related to the elements: uh, earth, air, fire, and water. So, you know, close but no cigar. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was it was gone. It was a it's a, yeah, it's um an attempt to understand a world, and I think like that's perfectly
1: yeah, that's what they had. That's the tools they had at the time. Um, and why wouldn't you trust? Yeah, trust a poet like that's just a nice, <laughs> nice analogy, isn't it? So the rainbow is hugely sim um, symbolic in mythology, in religion, and the arts. And in ancient Greece, uh, they also thought that uh, the colourful arcs uh, were a message from the gods. Uh, brought by Iris, um the goddess of rainbows. Great job. Um and all around like just just mega babe. Uh connecting the earth and the mega sea babe. and the sky. Um yeah. So what else do we got? In the story of um Genesis in the Bible. Uh, that's the one with uh, Noah and the ark. Uh we've mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. after creating a massive flood to wash away uh humanity's corruption, we have God just, you know, popping a rainbow in the sky as a sign of uh you know, promise that he won't ever ever destroy the earth with it giant flood ever again ever promise
0: okay legit legit old testament god was pretty fierce <laughs> so although it was never never a flood but maybe some other way but like not a flood again yeah not a flood again, again. i gave perhaps. you the rainbow
1: to promise no more floods <laughs> um yeah uh, a double rainbow i love double rainbows a double rainbow is seen as a symbol of transformation um and a sign of good fortune whoa um the first Ooh. arc sort of representing the material world and uh, the second arc signifying the more um, spiritual realm. Um, So according to Mm. Chinese mythology, the red in the rainbow symbolises the feet and the violet at the other end, uh, the head. Um, Therefore a single rainbow on its own signifies a a human descending from heaven to earth, Um, but a double rainbow um, where the colours are inverted is said to represent the movement from earth towards heaven. Um, and considered to be like a foreshadowing of future success, which is quite nice. Ooh, very nice. What else we got in the history of the rainbow? Oh, I love rainbows. Uh, In some Amazonian cultures, the rainbow was thought to be a negative symbol, which is like the only... Uh, example I found of the rainbow being a bad thing. um It was, you know, yeah. representing disease and misfortune, such as uh, miscarriages and skin problems. And there is a long-standing yeah. tradition that apparently um even predates the Incan Empire, so really old tradition wow. of uh, closing your mouth if you see a rainbow to prevent disease. Don't don't want any of that rainbow getting up in okay. your body. Okay, close your mouth. Um, okay. Sidebar: Like when I was, um so I, I went traveling in South America, and I remember seeing loads of of rainbow flags uh, in Ecuador and um, have now discovered Mm. that the flag for the city of Cusco is a rainbow. So it wasn't just like, you know, pride everywhere. It was, it was, (laughs) yeah, I wasn't sure if it was like a pride thing. The colour order of the Cusco flag is um, red, orange, yellow, green, sky blue, uh, regular blue, and then violet. Um, And it's a banner that is supposedly representative of the of uh, the Inca empire mm. oh, i can't i can't say it. Tawen Tissou, and mm-hmm. was apparently first introduced by uh, radio host raul montesinos aspeyo uh, in 1973 c- to commemorate uh, the 25th anniversary of his cusco radio station um tawantinsu radio um because that's apparently how you accredit something as a oh stately God, symbol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just chat about it on the radio. Sure. Um anyway, the, the colourful flag was later declared by the mayor to be the official emblem mm. of Cusco. So that's yeah, that's nice. Good old uh Raoul. That is really cool. That is really cool. <laughs> um so sometimes the We should do that with Radio yeah. Daddy, but
0: about somewhere yeah, else.
1: Exactly. <laughs> just in Cambridge where you are. We're gonna get them a new new flag. <laughs> yeah. It is sometimes sometimes that, that particular uh Rainbow rainbow flag is uh, cited as being connected, uh, or, or even confused with um, the Wimpala, which is a, a flag commonly used to represent some of the um, the native people of the Andes, including those in, okay. in regions of Peru and um, and Ecuador and Bolivia. Mm. And that's that's more of a, a diagonal um, gradient, kind of made up of, of colourful squares of the rainbow. Uh, again, each with its with its own meaning. So it's very much about like this these colour combinations that will represent something cultural. Each colour has a particularly uh, relevant symbolism in it. Yeah, and those are pretty universal. You know, red um, is, you know, the earth and the Andean man. Yellow represents Mm. energy and strength. Green signifying natural resources and wealth. Because for uh, native um, people in the Andes, like, wealth was the earth. Um, You know, natural resources were, you know, a type of, of wealth. And... Uh, blue represents um, the cosmos, and usually, like violet in kind of Western rainbows, is is like the spirit. So it's it makes sense that kind of the the blue end of the spectrum is 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 you know the cosmos and the spirit and and things like that. If uh, you are a butterfly or a spider, um, and you happen to be a homosexual one, uh, then you'll be living your best life because you're actually able to see far more colours um, than humans do. Uh, for humans, uh, that band, the violet band, um, is the last colour you can see. Um, it's the last one that our eyes can pick up, whereas many insects and birds can see ultraviolet light. So they actually get like that final part of the rainbows is really where the magic happens. There's all these like additional groovy uh, ultraviolet rays. You yeah. know, that's where things get really, really gay. <laughs> as if, <laughs> like as if butterflies really needed any more audacity. Like you know exactly. I need them. Give them to me, butterflies. Butterflies are just having a great time. Dogs and cats, not so much. The colour spectrum kind of goes like dark brown, 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 yellow, brown, grey, light blue, (laughs) and then blue. Um, so rainbows aren't quite as special to dogs um, and other mammals because they only have two types of um, cone cells to pick up all, all the you know pick up on light and colour. Yeah. Um, whereas primates such as, uh, as humans and queer folk uh, are able to pick up uh, more colours on our own visible mm. spectrum because we have three cones uh, to catch all those wonderful yeah. bits of light bouncing around after the rain. Yeah, it's pretty circumstantial, isn't it? Like you could have been born a dog with none of the advanced rainbow spotting eyewear that uh, that humans are, you know human queers are born with. So if you yeah. So best case scenario, you're a you're a queer butterfly having a having a right old time. Um and sort of worst case is you're a dog mm. and it's sort of you know it's less special. Yeah. So just you know, just check yourself from uh, time to time, you know, be grateful that as a queer person like you can at least see a rainbow in the in a kind of fabulous uh fabulous sense that kind of matches. A beautiful rainbow in its colours, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um so you know, to conclude, like around the world the rainbow is like almost always um, a symbol of community um, and an adjoining of many different strands of culture and society, like marrying together to create unity and harmony um, and all those nice, nice things. So yeah, I'm, go- I'm sorry to say that like queer people uh, don't exclusively own <laughs> the rainbow. RIP RIP but it, it you know sure is nice to see the progress flag like flying as a symbol of inclusive inclusivity and pride isn't it um like we'll you know this yeah i really i really like the progress flag i think it's i think it's yeah. really nice to see it evolve and it's more it's also yeah. much more interesting to look at yeah. than just the plain
0: rainbow no offence to plain rainbow lovers. Yeah. I, like it I mean, you know, now.
1: Gilbert Gilbert uh, Baker's design, it, it was, you know, it was great and it, it served well. Great. It served a purpose yeah. at the time. Um, it yes. definitely did serve yeah. a, a purpose. Um, and it's still, you know, it's still part of the, the the flag that we now use, the progress flag. You know, so mm. there's all this stuff about like, wow, well, you know, this year, the you know, the rainbow has been like appropriated by, you know, to, to represent the NHS. And it's like, come on, we don't own, we don't own that. Like before that we were, you know, the gays were, you know, Stole the rainbow from the gods, right? Like that's that's the narrative of that, you know. Yeah. So we God sent all, it down. Yeah. There's no there's no thievery, is there? It's just we're all just kind of you know it's just it's just about symbolism, um, and that can be different to different uh, communities. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's it's taken differently. I also wonder if there's actually something quite nice about. It being used as a celebration of other groups as well, mm. like NHS and key workers being like a symbol of hope and kind of supporting uh, those that are on the front line at the moment. And and you know, there's part of me that thinks that at the moment, like before, let's say before pandemic, before COVID, the pride flag could like could sometimes be seen as quite an aggressive. it is it is quite bright and it is quite visually like affronting sometimes especially it's not loud subtle. Yeah. a thing it's not subtle but it was like very much it's like oh only for the gays and it is it was like such a such a um mm. a pointed statement that, that was only seen or like kind of kind of possessed or, or um appropriated by the by the queer community mm-hmm. as our own mm-hmm. and our own symbol of hope and pride yeah but by it also being used to celebrate and like thank other people for their contribution i wonder if there's a kind of there will be like a slight a slight softening of it that it's not as immediately like oh my goodness the gays are here yeah. could, like there's there might be a slightly softer feeling towards seeing the pride flag mm-hmm. and being like oh it, like oh maybe that's like a, the either the lhs flag or the queer flag yeah. like whatever it is mm-hmm. I see that now as, as a symbol of hope. Yeah, definitely. Rather than of just like, hope and peace. Queerness. And, and it is a symbol of yeah. hope for us too. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah. I mean before that the, the sort of the symbol um for um, the LGBT community was Q plus community was um, you know, that pink triangle, um, which of course was very bold, very striking. Um and had you know a much darker history um so i think the you know t- yeah because it was used to identify um mm. gay people
0: in uh, concentration exactly. camps during the war or even just like before you were before we were shipped off and and um sent to those camps it
1: yeah it was a re reappropriation yeah. of that but like you said it had a much yeah. darker so i think you know going from you know and a lot of um you know the gay liberation front and and aids campaigners would use that symbol because it was because of its history and because of it being provocative and and striking and sort of yeah reclaiming Mm. it whereas the the pride flag it is different it is um i guess it's more family friendly to some extent and it is it's more about that um you know inclusivity and yeah and hope and peace um and about you know coming together in harmony isn't it rather than being a kind of a symbol of protest. Of course it is used at protests. Um but I think it's you know I've enjoyed seeing uh, more rainbows around <laughs> recently in the in the windows. Yeah, yeah, I like it too. I think it's I think it's also incredibly appropriate that a rainbow
0: is a is a yeah. colour spectrum, you know, and there's a, there's visible spec there's the visible spectrum that we see. There's also beyond mm-hmm. what we can see, either side of it, infrared or ultraviolet, both ends and it goes on and on and on. And actually, one of the uh, the article um, that I was reading, my my main one um, from the Scientific American, was saying that used the rainbow as an example of how a spectrum is divided up. Mm -hmm. So it's like the the rainbow is a spectrum, and there's almost, essentially, not quite, but essentially, infinite variations of colour all the way through. But for what for our own purposes. We choose certain colors and say, well, this one's pink or this one's orange and that one's blue so that we can understand or communicate what it Mm -hmm. is that we're saying or, you know, just for things as simple as being like buying, buying paint or being like that tree Mm -hmm. is green. You know, we decide that some of it has a name. But that doesn't mean that that's the definitive thing. And that's the same with being like gender, different different gender identities. We may have names for different points mm-hmm. along the way, but that doesn't mean they're the definitive examples or names or definitions yeah. of what those genders are or whatever. Um, and I think that was that was really uh, that's a really interesting, very apt um, symbol yeah, for I the queer so.
1: community, you know. So yeah, there's a brief history of rainbows, uh, invented by <laughs> Isaac Newton, the rainbow I tamer. Um, I was it. cycling yesterday and I cycled past Isaac Newton's uh, centre of mathematics in Cambridge, and I just felt so yeah, nice. I just felt in the sun, you know, the sunshine, and I was like, oh yeah, hella queer. And we've got some That's pretty good so nice. uh, role so models nice. and icons, you know, popping up and being um, yeah, kind of being accepted as as queer icons, you know, now. Whereas at the time, maybe, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Maybe he was too busy, you know, messing around with prisms to be, uh, <laughs> yeah, messing around with prisms to be to be any kind of, you know, to be worried about labels and um, yeah. yeah, relationships.
0: He was just doing him. He was doing his own thing, it seems. Un- uninterested and un- unbothered by defining himself. Um,
1: it's interesting to know a potentially queer man discovered the rainbow. Yes. Um, I don't think it's a, an accident, you know. I think it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many people do you know messing around with prisms? Anyway, so that's it. That's a, a little brief uh, introduction to rainbows, <laughs> seeing how you know just how gay All they right. really thank are. Thank you uh, so much for that, Daisy. That was
0: incredible, and thank you for listening. Uh, this has been another episode of Radio Zaddy with myself, Hannah Bestwick, and the wonderful Daisy Thurston, Gent. If you want to get us on social media, where do they find us, Daisy? Uh,
1: you can find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram, um, Radio Zaddy X A D D Y. Um, we've got some. Oh, we have actually got a little fun little website in uh, in production, which uh, should be launching fairly soon. But uh, it's all in this. It's just all in the same place. Um, catch us on the platform of your of your choosing next time, and uh, we'll see. We'll see yeah, you again very soon. All right. Thanks for listening. See you later. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.